So good morning, everyone. My name is Rebecca Courtney, and I'm an elder here at church. And I just cried all through that last song. So um, an act in vulnerability right here, right? This is what you get. Uh, I am here to um, bring some announcements so that you guys know what's going on in our community. Um, and I also am going to give you a little confession and testimony uh, toward the end of my announcements today. But the first thing I want you to know is that you have a prayer card in the seat back pocket behind you. We talk about these every week. Um, and the reason we talk about them every week is because we believe as a community that prayer is so important. And we want to be praying for you. Um, and there are three different groups that pray over these prayer requests. So if you've got stuff going on in your life, like we all do, jot them down on that prayer card while I'm talking. And when the offering basket comes around after um, I get finished talking, throw it in there and um, we'll send that out to a prayer team. People pray on Sunday mornings for these prayers. The staff prays for them. Um, so make sure that you don't neglect doing that. And if you want to be a part of the people who are on that prayer team that are um, praying for our people, uh, just let Matt or Kate Pepper know um, that you want to do that. We have an Ash Wednesday service this Wednesday here at 7 o'clock. Lent begins on Wednesday. It's our season to start prepping for Easter and the celebration of Easter. So come and join us this Wednesday for Ash Wednesday, 7 o'clock right here. Um, there's also this weekend, there is a gathering called if it's called an if gathering um, and Lori Carnahan is gonna be in the back to answer questions um, of people who are maybe interested in this it's a woman's gathering and it's at Hillside Church and it's gonna be Friday night and Saturday um, so talk to Lori after if you're interested at all in that Gilead House is one of um, our partners it's a home for moms who have been homeless in the past and uh, we go there every year and we do a big spring clean and that's coming up on March 18th. It's a Saturday and it's from nine to noon. And one, it's a great area of service for us to go and help someone else. But two, it's a really neat way to see the actual house and see where the moms live and interact with a few moms. Um, and, and it's just a quick morning of service. So join us for that. And speaking of Gilead House, uh, we are going to do a fundraiser on April 8th. It's a Saturday also at 6 um, to help raise the funds that we contribute to Gilead House. We support them financially through the year. And so um, Justin, are you here? There he is. He's already at the table in the back. He's already ready for you to come and ask him about that. So Justin's in the back. You can ask him about that. Um, and now I come to my confession part of my, this being up here. Um, I, well, I was raised in the South. I was raised in church. Um, I had some things pounded into me as a kid of things that you do. And uh, tithing is one of those things. Um, giving back to the church of uh, the money that you are blessed with. And uh, I in the recent past, had a job um, that I loved. It was a job of service. It was working with the, um, marginalized people. I loved it, but it paid nothing. And uh, I 
did not tithe while I was at that job. And I, for that time, um, felt super, super, super guilty because I felt like I was walking in disobedience. Um, to me, uh, I, I feel that God asks us to give back to him. Um, I feel like he asks us to give through our finances, but also through our time and our service to other people. And I kind of, this is bad theology. I'll tell you, this is bad theology. But I was like, okay, God, my whole life is service right now. So I'm just going to keep the money that I have. And I'm just going to be like, serve it. Not good theology, but that's where my brain went. And I said to God, I made a deal, which is also not good theology. I said, hey, God, you know, while I'm doing this job, I'm going to hold on to this money because I, I, I need to pay my rent and eat. But when I get a new job that pays more, I will totally, hands down, walk in the obedience of tithing again. Like, I will. And I was like super itching to do that. So I got this new job. I'm teaching at, I'm teaching at Coleman Elementary School. I teach first grade. I love it. And um, with that new job became, came a, a bigger paycheck. Uh, not that much bigger, but bigger. So I was like, all right, God, here I am. I'm tithing. So the first month came. I got that paycheck. I was ready to tithe. And I broke a tooth and had to pay for a crown. And I was like, Crah! So I didn't tithe that month. And I was like, okay, God, I know I said I would tithe, but I'll do it next month, I promise. So the next month rolls around, and I'm good, and I'm ready, and I'm excited, and I blew a tire. And I went to the tire shop, and he was like, yeah, these tires are shot. You need four new tires. So I bought four new tires the second month. Third month rolled around, and I'm like, okay, obedience. I'm walking in obedience. I'm going to do it. And uh, what happened that month? Oh, um, I went to have my car serviced, and the guy was like, your shocks are leaking. You need new shocks. I'm like, ah. So it went on like that for like five months. I had this new job, and I still wasn't tithing. And so one day I'm like sitting in the quiet, and I'm like, I just sitting in the quiet, listening. And I feel like God said to me, which... I don't know how God speaks to you, but when he speaks to me, it's always in a Southern woman accent. <laughs> and I feel like God said to me, hey, baby, baby, will you just trust me? And I had to grapple with that because I was like, oh, I say I trust God. But I also said I was going to start tithing, and I didn't. And um, I'm super like not good with finances and I never have been and I'm like ah oh. and so I just I just said to God you know what I don't know how I'm gonna pay for things like new tires and broken teeth and you know and how I'm gonna do that and tithe and eat um which is, is a concern of mine eating <laughs> and I, but I but I said I will trust you and so I emailed Elsie and I'm like, put me on that like automatic take it out of your account thing because I just got to do it in the beginning and like not just, I just have to do it. And so for a year and a half now, money just rolls out of my account every time I get paid. Um, and not one time have I gone without food or not one time have I had an emergency where like, I didn't have the means 
to, to fix it. And that might be bad theology too. It's like, well, I'm giving back to God and so now I'm blessed with finances. I don't really think that's true, but I do think that God asked me to trust him with my finances and I believe that through community, he's taking care of me. And it's silly things like my hair dryer broke and I went to the store to look at hair dryers and they were like $40. I'm like, I can pay $40 for a hair dryer. So I email out my faith group and I'm like, hey, anybody got an extra hair dryer? Jan Stanish, here you go. Here's an extra hair dryer. You know, like stuff like that. But so all of that rambling just to say, um, I want to share with you, confess that I feel like I was walking in disobedience, but to share with you that um, now that I feel like I'm walking in obedience, uh, I, I love to talk about how God blesses me through that and really takes care of me and proves over and over and over again how trustworthy he is. So, will you guys pray with me and then we'll have our offering and um, I love you guys, you're my people. Father, you are a good, good father and we love you so much. God, in the words of that song, man, when, when you show up, you love us and everything else can slip away. And I so thank you for how patient you are and how much you want our good. And I pray that you convict our hearts to take care of each other, to take care of your church. We love you. Amen. Thanks, Jonathan. How about that? You got applause, buddy. <laughs> oh. I, uh, I feel like every time Rebecca gives announcements, that I, I don't really need to teach. Uh, she <laughs> kind of gives us... <laughs> so let me give announcements. Um, Lent's coming up. Uh, and... Uh, I hope you all by this time have received the Lent calendar. Uh, Lent starts Ash Wednesday, which is this Wednesday. And uh, I want to invite you to uh, join us as a community to follow this calendar. Uh, this one is something you can just put up on your fridge, uh, somewhere that it's visible. It, it has in brief what we're doing each day. And then uh, these ones, March and April, have uh, the more full version of what we're doing throughout Lent. And so I'd invite you to do this. Um, if you're in a faith community, I invite you to do this together, share your experience together. If you're not in a faith community, who's not in a faith? Nah, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to single you out. But if you're not in a faith community, please, please, please see me, see Brian Tabor. We'd love to get you connected to a faith community so you can journey with other folks. And I think Lent is a fabulous time 
to be doing that, to be experiencing this calendar together and, and journeying through Lent together. One thing also that we're doing through Lent is this uh, Lenten contemplative practice for the six weeks of Lent. We'll do it in the Student Center every Sunday morning for the six Sundays of Lent. Uh, at 8.45 a.m. And so if you are interested in that, if you want to learn more about it, please see me. There's a sign-up sheet in the back just so I can get a sense for how many people are going to come to that so I know what room we might use over there for that experience. So it's just six Sundays. Hope you'll join us for that. Uh, let me pray and we'll jump into Philippians. God, thank you. Thank you that we get to be here. Thank you that we get to worship together and that we get to experience your presence with us in each other. God, as we open the scriptures now, I pray, God, that you would give us new eyes to see and new ears to hear and a new heart to understand and experience all that you have for us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So we're in Philippians 3. We're going to attempt to finish Philippians 3 today. And then we're going to take a break from Philippians. Uh, Elsie's laughing because she, she texts me every Friday morning to ask me what's the text and what's the title so she can put it in the program. And I give her the text and we don't always get through the actual text. And so the next week when I text her the text, she's rolling her eyes saying, wasn't that last week? <laughs> Anyhow, um, so we're going to finish Philippians 3 today. And then uh, through Lent, we're going to explore Matthew chapters 8 and 9 together. And then after Easter Sunday, we'll do Philippians 4. Sound good? So, Philippians 3, we left off at verse 12. Philippians 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So Paul is writing this letter to a group of Christians in the Roman colony of Philippi, and he says, not that I have already obtained all of this. What is all of this? So as a reminder, last week, let's look at verse 10. Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So Paul says, I haven't attained all this. I don't know Christ to the amount I want to know Christ. I don't know him fully in his suffering. I don't know him fully in his resurrection, but I press on to experience that more fully, that goal, that prize, the goal, the prize is this beautiful, loving union with Jesus. This is what Paul longs for more of. We are created to experience this union in ever-deepening union. And Paul says, I haven't attained this. I haven't attained all this, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. And so we have this image of Christ has a hold of Paul, and Paul is straining forward, pressing on to take hold of more of Christ. He says, I want to know Christ, and I want to know more of Christ, and when I know more of Christ, I want to know more of Christ, and when I know more of Christ, then I still want to know more 
of Christ. And as we talked about last week, this is not some intellectual data, not some intellectual ascent knowing things about Christ. It is experientially, relationally, participatorily knowing Christ, experiencing the risen Christ in our midst and union with him. Brothers and sisters, verse 13, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, I I forget what's behind and I strain forward towards Christ. Now, uh, to forget what is behind, clearly Paul isn't talking about just forgetting everything central to worship and something Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians and something we're going to do here in a few minutes is we remember Christ. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 instructions about partaking of the bread and the cup and that as often as we do it, we do it in remembrance of Christ. So memory is central to worship. So what is Paul talking about? Forgetting what is behind. He's just told us part of his story. He says in verse verse 5, I've been circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. And so Paul is remembering part of his story. But here he says, forgetting what is behind. See, what Paul is doing is he's helping us see there is a way of remembering the past that is different. It is retelling our stories now through the lens of Christ. That which is behind, it's forgotten in the context with which it happened, only in that it is now redeemed in Christ. And so for Paul, all those things, everything he's attained, his slick resume, as a Jew, he says, it, it's garbage, it's loss, and I now forget that which is past. I forget that which I used to think was the way to live my life, to build my resume bigger, to have a better resume, to attain more, to be the best possible Jew, to have this legalistic righteousness. I'm forgetting all of that. It's in the past, and I am straining toward that which is ahead. So there's ways we remember now about our past that are different than when we lived them, right? Uh, I mean, remember living this? I mean, in the moment, you thought it was cool, right? And now, uh, well, and then someone had in their mind the idea of yoga pants, and this was the first yoga pants, I think. But, but now we laugh at that fashion, or, or hairdos. Uh, this must be someone's... Uh, I tried to find my yearbook senior photo so you could just laugh at me, and I couldn't locate it in time. But, uh, and yeah, there's that. <laughs> so we remember these old hairdos, we remember these old fashion statements, and, and we, we remember them now with laughter. Right? The, the way they're kind of redeemed for us is to just laugh about it. Uh, and what Paul is doing here is helping us rethink the way we, re- we remember our past. It is now seen through the eyes 
of Christ. We remember our past only in light of grace, only in light of forgiveness, only in light of Christ's love on the cross. So I wonder for you this morning, as you're running this race, as you're straining forward to take hold of Christ who has hold of you, uh, what are you carrying with you that Christ has invited you to leave behind? Because it's awfully difficult to run the race when you're carrying bags of guilt and shame with you. That is not the gospel of grace. That is not the gospel of forgiveness. It is not the gospel of healing and reconciliation. When you are carrying the weight of your past sins, which Christ has already released you from, it is not the true gospel that Jesus has invited us into. He's invited us into this free and light way of life that embraces forgiveness, embraces grace, embraces healing, embraces restoration and redemption and reconciliation. Jesus invites us to run the race freely and lightly. When Paul talks about running the race and when he says he's straining forward, he, he's not carrying anything. And so for him, the race has a rhythm to it. It has a rhythm to it where he can keep pace because nothing is weighing him down because he says, I've, I'm, I've just left it all in the past. All that stuff, all the achievements, all the uh, doing, 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 all the things that I thought made me a better person, uh, even persecuting the church. This man killed Christians. He says, I, I just can't allow it to weigh me down. I must strain towards Christ freely and lightly without the burden of shame and guilt. This is the gospel life Jesus invites us into as we run this race. Paul says in verse 15, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. And so Paul says, uh, twice here he uses a word. Uh, next slide. It's the word phronio, which we've, uh, we've looked at this word a number of times already in this series because Paul uses it over and over and over again. It's a central term. He says uh, in Philippians 1, it is right for me to phronio this way about you. Some people translate it, it is right for me to feel this way about you. Other people translated, it is right for me to think this way about you. How is it both feel and think? Because this is a holistic term in the Greek that does not separate the head and the heart. They're meant to be united together. And so uh, one scholar uh, whose commentary I've been reading through this series is Stephen Fowle, and I love his translation of this word. Uh, he says it's a pattern of thinking feeling and acting. Phronio, a pattern of thinking, feeling, and acting. It's this holistic 
way of being. And so when Paul says all of us who are mature should take such a view, the word view is phroneo, should think, feel, and act this way. And if on some point you think, phroneo, if on some point you think, feel, or act differently, God too will make clear to you. And so Paul is saying a part of uh, mature spirituality is to let go of the past, to forget that which is behind, and to strain forward towards Christ. That a part of mature spirituality is being able to let go of the guilt and shame so that you can run freely and lightly. A uh, couple of quotes about mature spirituality. Richard Rohr says, all mature spirituality in one sense or another is about letting go and unlearning. It's not necessarily about attaining more knowledge, uh, doing more things. It's about letting go, releasing, thinking you have all the answers, releasing, wanting to intellectually know more, 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 and instead let go and rest in the creator God of the universe. Meister Eckhart says, the spiritual life has much more to do with subtraction than addition. Much more to do with subtraction than addition. And this is subtraction in every way. It's living uh, a minimalist life. I mean, the less stuff you have, the less stress you have, right? Uh, the less stuff you have, the more you're able to focus on what matters. This has to do with our interior life as well. The less you're carrying around inside of you, weighing you down, the more mature your spirituality is going to be, the more you're going to be able to focus on God who is within you. And so Paul says, those who are mature should think, feel, and act in this way. Release the stuff that's keeping you from straining forward in Christ. Verse 17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have to often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their phroneo, their thinking, feeling, and acting, is set on earthly things. And so Paul says there's, there's this group of people in the world whose thinking, feeling, and acting is counter to that of the way of Jesus. Their God is their stomach. Paul, Paul is tapping into these things that uh, compete for our desires. Our desires are hardwired from creation to be bent towards God. But in our broken world, that desire too becomes broken. And even though at our deepest core, our deepest longings and desires are bent towards God, they get confused and bent and broken and we begin to desire things other than God. Uh, Paul says that their God is their stomach. He, he's tapping into what, what gets at your appetite. What's your appetite for? 
What, what do you go to to soothe that appetite? What's your advice? Uh, we're sitting around the dinner table and uh, our three-year-old says, Mama, I want rice. Mama, I want rice. And uh, Jenna, uh, our three-year-old sitting here and our seven-year-old Cora is sitting here and the rice is here. And so Jenna says, Cora, can you help uh, Rainy with the rice? Sure, Mama. Scoops some rice out, puts it on Rainy's plate, and I kid you not, the three-year-old, who, by the way, is often just so unbelievably sweet. I, 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 I was, I feel like I have to share this. Uh, I was sick this past week, and she would cuddle up into my lap and put her head on my chest and then pat my chest with her hand and say, it's going to be okay, Daddy. It's going to be okay. Uh, that same three-year-old, who was just served so generously and kindly by our seven-year-old, got rice on her plate and waited half a second, then looked at Cora with this devilish look and said, Cora, and kid you not, bangs on the table, Cora, give me butter. <laughs> like, how, how could you serve me rice and not butter? What are you thinking? You don't eat rice without butter. Uh, their God is their stomach. Uh, so, so, that entitled child. Uh, Jenna and I were talking about this and thinking, you know, all our other kids have someone, in a sense, to take care of. She doesn't. And so she said, listen, it's all about me. So how could you give me rice and not butter? Uh, but we, we have, this happens to us, doesn't it? I mean, I tell a story about a three-year-old, but if we're honest with ourselves, we often live lives where we feel entitled to more. Like, I, I just was given generously rice, but that's not enough. You owe me more. Uh, and... I wonder for us this morning, uh, what is your appetite? What is your broken desire? What is the thing you go to to try to feel satisfied? Uh, what is that thing for you? Uh, maybe it is literally food. Uh, Maybe it's that extra drink to just take the edge off. Uh, maybe it's some other type of substance. Uh, maybe for you, it, it's shopping, and you just always have to have the next outfit. For, for me, I can go two years without shopping, and I'm good. Uh, but don't take my NPR away. Uh, don't take my coffee away. Um, uh, I wonder what it is for you. Maybe for you, it's, it's this. What would you do without it for a day? Uh, what would happen to you if you didn't have it? Uh, as Lent approaches in three days, I wonder what thing for you God might be inviting you to give up just for 40 days.
Uh, is it shopping? Is it drinking? Is it NPR? Uh, is it uh, some type of boundaries on your phone? I get that you probably can't just give it up for all six weeks of Lent, but maybe it's some type of boundaries. Uh, when you get home for, from work, maybe it stays in another room until you go to bed. Uh, what, what is it for you? It, giving something up for Lent is not a requirement. It, it's not a must. It's not some type of obligation. I do think it's an extremely helpful practice that helps us reattune our hearts toward God. When we release that thing that's important to us and replace it with attuning our hearts towards God. Uh, much research says that we're bombarded with anywhere from four to 10,000 advertisements a day. 4,000 to 10,000 advertisements a day. Um, competing for our desires. We live in a world that competes for our desires. Our desires are hardwired and created to be bent towards God. One way to look at those advertisements, I might suggest, is it, it's 4,000 to 10,000 opportunities a day to redirect our desire to God. When that advertisement pops and grabs your attention, what if your response was gratitude to God? for what you already have? Uh, what if each distraction that pops up, what if, what if we were so shaped and formed and our desires were so bent towards God that every time that distraction pops up, it was an opportunity for our heart to return thanks to God for who he is and what God has done on our behalf. Uh, what is it for you? Where do your desires get bent towards? And how is God inviting you to have your desires realigned back towards him? Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, th this isn't us just waiting to go to heaven. It is us longing for Jesus to come to us and for us to live the life of heaven here. If we're citizens of heaven but living on earth, we are invited to live the way of heaven now. This, this is what we pray. Next slide. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so as citizens of heaven, we have the opportunity to live the way of heaven, the phroneo, to think, feel, and act the way of Jesus here and now. This same word used in Philippians 2.5, in your relationships with one another, have the same phroneo as Christ Jesus. Have the same pattern of thinking, feeling, and acting 
as Jesus, which was what? Not using his position or power to his own advantage, but for the sake of the world. Not using his divinity to exploit, but to give himself away, to empty himself for the sake of the world. Ultimately, as a servant, all the way to the cross. This is the pattern of thinking, feeling, and acting we're invited into. The pattern of Jesus, who went all the way to the cross as a servant of the world. Our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, Paul is using a couple of loaded words here. He's using citizenship. He's writing people in a Roman colony, most of whom were Roman citizens, and he's saying, your first citizenship is in heaven. And then he calls Jesus Savior and Lord, terms that were both used of Caesar. And Paul says, the true Savior of the world, the true Lord of the world, is Jesus. And our citizenship belongs to him, who, by the power that enabled him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And so this is the hope with which we live, that someday Jesus, our true Lord, our true Savior, will return and transform our bodies, which are broken, into glorious bodies, and we will dwell with him forever in a new, restored creation, a new heaven, a new earth. Uh, this morning, as we come to this table, I want to invite you to consider two things. Uh, first, what is it from your past that just seems to keep dangling there? That, that just seems to keep wearing you down, that you are continuing to carry. And Jesus is saying, just let it go. It's done. It's finished. I've taken care of it. Let it go so you can truly press on into Christ. And then the other thing, what, what is that broken desire? What, what is that thing for you? Uh, what, what might God be inviting you to let go of? At least for Lent. What if you didn't watch any shows? No TV for Lent. Could you do it? What, what if that, that particular food or that particular drink or that particular device, what desire has begun to bend in the wrong direction that God is inviting you to be free from and to live freely and lightly as a citizen in his kingdom. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you that you are a God of grace, a God of forgiveness, a God who invites us in to a life that is free and light. God, I pray that we would know you more. Draw us into ever deeper union with you, Lord. 
And God, make us instruments of your freedom in the world that we would be so deeply found in you that every encounter we have would be one that is hope and light and love and healing to those we encounter. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.